This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. And welcome to a late night edition of From Complex to Queens. Although I guess if you're listening in the morning, when this becomes available to download, it's not really late night anymore. But whatever. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined by Ken Lavin. And we are going to start this very special edition of From Complex to Queens off with a special version of Promote Extend Trade called Trade, Trade, Trade. And I think we are unanimously going to trade the Garden State Parkway because <laughs> fuck the Garden State Parkway. I, I do have like um, there is a place in my heart for the Garden State Parkway uh, as a, a you know son of the Garden State, but today was rough. Yeah, yeah, that was I think the most hellacious traffic I've ever been in. So bad. As. Waze took me, like, off of it for a while, and so, like, I basically did, like, a loop <laughs> to to cut out, like, most of the parkway. Mm. But even then, like, I, literally everybody was on the road. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not good. Obviously, there's, like, the short traffic, but even that aside, I don't even know what the hell is going on. Because it's not like there was, like, cars on fire or accidents or nothing like that, so I just don't know. No, just literally everybody deciding to come back from the shore at the same time. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the Jersey Shore in a little bit. But first, let's go north to Syracuse and let's talk about the Syracuse Mets. And they went 3-3 three and three this week. So they are 11-19 and 19 on the year, which is nine games behind the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders in the AAA East-Northeast. And what a week Khalil Lee had. Uh, he was 7 for 15 with five doubles, basically a, a double every game he played this week. Five RBI, five walks, and strikeout, uh, uh, six strikeouts. Um, so, that, I mean, that's an objectively good week anywhere you go. And before we move on, speaking of Khalil Lee, the Mets announced who the player to be named later to complete the trade where the Mets acquired Lee in the first place, who that is. And they are sending Freddy Valdez to Boston, who we ranked uh, 14th on our 2021 top prospect list. Um, in in a lot of ways, Valdez is a lot like Lee. They both have above-average power. They both take kind of long hacks at the plate, uh, very pull-oriented, 
when everything works, you know, these, these two guys can hit for crazy power. But when things aren't fully in sync, they could look lost. Um, I think Lee is definitely a better fielder. He's, you know, a, a center fielder and a pretty good one at that. Yeah, Whereas, he brings more to the table than, um, you know, just being able to hit for power. Yeah, Valdez. He's a he's a big kid. He's six foot three, two ten. So he's probably going to get bigger. And right now he's a, a right fielder. And if he keeps growing, he might even be forced to go over to first base. So all in all, uh, I think it's a pretty fair trade. I think it works out for for both sides. Um, basically, you know, the Mets got in Lee, a player who could have an impact now or in the near future, and the Red Sox got. That same kind of player, but someone that's going to have more control and will have an impact further in the future. Can't argue with that, really. Yeah, it's, you know, the kind of thing you do when you don't have any upper minors outfield depth. So. Better than signing. Perfectly fine. Better than signing random indie guys. Yep. Or, or I should say, less, uh, more exciting anyway. Speaking of exciting, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. <laughs> They went five and one. That's right, five and one. Not one and five. Five and one this week. Now they're nine and twenty on the year, which is eleven games behind the Somerset Patriots in the Double A Northeast Northeast. But um, a crazy good week they had, and a big reason why they are. This is weird to say. The, the, the currently the hottest Mets minor league affiliate, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. <laughs> but a big reason for that is because they've had. A couple of guys really go off this week. Jake Mangum, he went 7 for 25 with four doubles, a homer, three RBI, a walk, and five strikeouts. Carlos Cortez, he went 9 for 23 with four doubles, two homers, six RBI, three walks, five strikeouts. Catcher Hayden Sanger, he had a good week. He went 6 for 14 with a double, a homer, three RBIs, no walks, and four strikeouts. And here's a blast from the past. Desmond Lindsay, he went... <laughs> Four for fifteen with two homers, four RBI, three walks, and nine strikeouts. I saw one uh, of them on Twitter. It was uh, like Oppo right down the line. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Desmond Lindsay, his time is kind of past. Um, you know, he he just turned twenty four in January, and the number of games that he has under his belt, and the performance that he has been able to put up when he was able to play, it's kind of minimal. But how about those other guys? Are we? Are we starting to buy into Jake Mangum, Carlos Cortez, or Hayden Sanger as being legit guys, especially Mangum and Cortez? What do you think? So I've always thought that Cortez is at least going to play in the big leagues. Um, and, you know, he's at double A now. And he's hitting relatively well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I definitely need to watch both of them a little more closely moving forward. Um like Cortez, I don't really know if there's any upside there at all. But I wasn't sure if he was going to hit in double A and he's hitting in double A, so who knows. What do you think, Steve? I just have a is, I don't know if visceral hatred is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. That's a little too extreme, I think. But just Cortez, this is not my guy. And, and yeah, he doesn't excite you. No, and just, you know, even if he goes 9 for 23, 4 doubles and 2 homers in a week, it's just, eh. 
Jake yeah, Mangum, on the other hand, though, I can get it. I, I love me some Jake Mangum. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more likely to – I don't even know because then I'm looking at his stat line now and, um, yeah, he's hitting 340 and slugging almost 550, but he's only walking less than 2% of his of the time. Oh, it's a small sample. <laughs> it's just such a departure from everything we know about Jake Mangum. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, I'm, you know, we were discussing this earlier today. The guy knows how to hit. The college stats, you know, you have to discount college stats. But he is the SEC hit king, you know, so he has to have some idea of how to put bat on ball in order to log, you know, 270 hits or whatever it was over over four years at Mississippi uh, State. He didn't look good last year in Brooklyn. Well, excuse me, in 2019 in Brooklyn. But you could say that pretty much about everyone, any hitter <laughs> that plays in Brooklyn, especially college guys that are coming off of a long college season to begin with, and then they're just kind of, you know, 60, 70 games at college, and then they're thrown another 60 games or so as a professional. Obviously, it's easy to wear down quickly. But the power is something that's definitely new. I mean, you know, at best, he, you know, you could say he has, you know, doubles power, triples power. He is a speedy guy. But all these home runs, that's something new. And I've heard that he's a a little bigger, a little bulkier now than he was, you know, two years ago. He was definitely one of the the workout video on Instagram crew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) During uh, the shutdown and everything. So, I mean, it's not going to make the profile worse, obviously. I mean, he is a speedy guy. He is a average or better center fielder. You know, those things are an excellent floor. Um, you know, this, this power is unexpected, but it's a, it's a very positive development. Yeah, he's somebody, I think, who's moved uh, from the... He's a guy I also thought was going to play in the big leagues, but mostly just because he's he's Jake Mangum, yeah. you know, um, you know, not really knowing how he'll he'll get there, but figuring he probably will. Uh, I can kind of see it a little more now, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the path's a little clearer than just like shrug emoji. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was the future for too many people in the system. Yes. Almost everyone else they drafted that year. That year yeah. <laughs> after after Allen. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead for a little bit. Um, and we're going to take a look at the St. Lucie Mets here now. They went one in five. It's the worst week that they had this season. And the only reason why they did win that one game that they did win was because of rain. So, you know, the game was canceled after the, the fifth inning, sixth inning. So in theory, they could have gone over this week. Um, they're 17 and 13 on the year. So because they built up such a big lead in May, they're still in first place in the low A Southeast East. But their lead has shrunk to just one game. And the Jupiter Hammerheads are closing in. And if we could uh, afford a soundboard, this would be a good time for the Jaws music. <laughs> but... You know, we only have two listeners, so it is what it is. But it was uh, it was a poor week for the team. 
there really weren't any noteworthy performances, but we do have some good news to report on two fronts. One is that Alexander Ramirez, he made his professional debut. He was the Mott, the Mots. He was the Mets top IFA signing in the 2019 to 2020 rookie class. He just turned 18. He's the third youngest player in the league. But unlike the two other guys, um, Robin Heredia from the Cardinals and Alexander Mojica from Pittsburgh, Ramirez does not have any DSL experience. He's, he's coming in blind here. Um, so really anything that he does take with a grain of salt, good or bad. I mean, good is great, but if he struggles, you know, he is not a bust. He literally is taking his first professional at bats ever against some people that have years of experience. Yep. Someone that hopefully we can expect to form, perform well is the other guy that made his professional debut this week. Uh, Mets second round draft pick from last year's draft, JT Ginn. He had Tommy John surgery back in March 2020, which caused him to drop to the Mets in the second round because prior to that, he was generally considered a first round talent, a, you know, first half of the first round talent. Um, he threw 44 pitches in his return to the mound this week, mainly fastballs, a handful of sliders, and then a couple of curves, a couple of change-ups. He averaged 92 miles per hour with the fastball, topped out at 93.6. He used to really sit in the low to mid-90s and top out in the upper 90s. Obviously, he didn't come close to that, but literally, this was his first start, so nobody should have any worries um, in terms of fastball velocity or anything like that. Slider, same thing. The spin rate it was pretty pedestrian, but this was his first start. No reason to be worried. And we know from the Anthony K experience and the Tommy uh, Thomas Zipucky experience that sliders and curveballs, anything with spin, it takes you know uh, a bit longer to come back to form. So honestly, uh, uh, unless Ginn looks completely catastrophic. You know, there really are not going to be any red flags with him this season. Um, based on how the Brooklyn series went, we'll get to them in a second, but I, I hope Ginn comes to Coney Island ASAP. <laughs> low A, uh, it's probably a little too low for him. You know, it's good to get his feet wet for a couple of weeks, maybe, you know, a month or two, whatever, but, you know, Which even though it was just... I'm sorry, go ahead. He he was a guy who, uh, if he wasn't hurt, could prob- possibly start in, in like, St. Lucie um, under the old arrangement. So Yeah, he would. This he would is probably about, you know, where he would be starting this season if he was healthy um, or, you know, he'd be past this. <laughs> yeah, even though it was just one year that he – one full year, one full healthy year that he had at Mississippi State – uh, you know, it, it was in the SEC. The guys that he's facing now probably are not going to be as much of a challenge as those SEC hitters were to him, you know, in 20, 2018. Uh, so if he gets the bump up to high A, Brooklyn, he'll see more guys that have some degree of professional experience and or college experience under their belt. And, you know, facing those kind of hitters will definitely help him more. Plus, he'll have, you know, my mom and East Park in Coney Islands. It'll, it'll make him look like a god. 
<laughs> you know, it's done that to many a pitcher over the years. So JT Ginn can be the uh, next generation of that. Yeah, take part in that proud tradition. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, now the meat and potatoes of today's episode. Declan, the Cyclones, they went two and four this week, leaving them at nine and 18 on the season, which is dead last in the high East North, um, nine games behind the Aberdeen Ironbirds. I had the pleasure of sitting in on the series this week, sans the end of the week when it rained, and Ken, you joined me today in beautiful sunny Lakewood. <laughs> um, Steve, you should see my arms. <laughs> I can imagine. I R.I.P. your arms. Yeah, bright red. <laughs> um. So, as a team... Uh, I would say it would be generous to say that the Cyclones are pretty flawed as a whole. Basically, looking at their starting pitchers, Matthew Allen in a sling probably would still be their best starter. They just really have... Nothing. Yeah, they just have nothing. I mean, Jose Budo, who pitched today nominally would be the ace of the staff, but He's really not good. So, this is what, like four home runs in that, that inning? Yeah, it was not what you want to see. But luckily, the Cyclones do have some pretty good players individually. That they do. So let's look at Ronnie Mauricio first. In the series, you know, Tuesday through Sunday... He went 7 for 27 with a double, a triple, a homer, 8 RBI, no walks, and 9 strikeouts. Uh, We saw, obviously, from spring training that he bulked up a ton, but he's still very thin and athletic and in proportion, so there's definitely more room to, you know, bulk up and and fill in even more, and that'll obviously uh, help the power, but he was showing pretty good power. Um... His his problem, I think, is the swing, specifically the left-handed swing. It's just not really that great. Like from the right side, he has he's he's very like whippy and um, what's the word fluid, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really carry over. It no, it's, it, it's like watching him. I, I I'm horrible when it comes to hitting mechanic mechanics. I'm much better at understanding pitching mechanics. So. I don't know exactly what it is with his left-handed swing, but it's like there's like a there's some kind of hitch in it where when he he strides and he drops his his hands and his shoulders like too much, and then he compensates and he raises his hands again while he's swinging. Uh, I, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just imagining that. I don't know, but it's just like a lot more movement, not just in the hands, like in the whole body. Yeah, like he collapses his whole side almost when he's. It's not it's not great. I mean, obviously he's still 
pretty young, and this is high A. There's plenty of time to work on this, but it it definitely needs to be addressed before he moves on, especially because he's going to be a guy that, but similar to Ahmed Rosario, is very dependent on hits because he really doesn't walk that much. I don't know if I would call him a free swinger, but he definitely swings a lot. Like, he makes a lot of contact, but, um, I mean, the the old thing from, uh, I think it was in The Athletic, wrote him up um, when he was in the South Atlantic League, but uh, it's that he never saw a pitch he thought he couldn't hit, you know? <laughs> uh, and to his, right. to his credit, <clears throat> to this point, he hasn't seen all that many pitches that he can't, actually can't hit. That's you true. Know? Like he makes a lot of con- he strikes out a fair amount, but he he also makes a lot of contact. Um, but generally, that doesn't continue working as much um, as you as the pitching gets better and better and better. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, there are questions, but that's more related to the potential of the future than the present. Because, you know, as a shortstop right now, he's not bad. You know, he still has okay range. He has a good arm, good instinct. So it's not like he's terrible as a shortstop. But if he continue, you know, if he continues filling out and he continues growing, he's probably not going to be a great shortstop. You could, in theory, just deal with it and say, okay, Ron Riso, below average to average shortstop. But with Francisco Lindor locked up for 10 years, it really is not a need to keep uh, playing him at shortstop. So we started talking about this a little bit at the game. Where do you think or where would you ultimately want him to end up defensively? I've always thought he was kind of a good fit at third uh, just because the arm, I think, would play there. Uh, But that also brings another problem where you have, you know, several third base prospects. Um, but I think that's kind of where I, I, I've always imagined him going is, uh, get a third just because of the arm strength and he's got pretty good hands and, uh, him not being the fastest guy doesn't really matter as much. You know, like Todd Frazier was a very good third baseman forever. And Todd Frazier is like the slowest person I've ever seen. You know that we should have checked in on Todd Frazier's Twitter. We should have. We were in for. his. We were in his backyard. He probably could have given us updates on the traffic. True. We need to get Todd Frazier on the podcast now. Friend of the podcast, yes. We'll see what we can do. Well, speaking of third baseman, um, there was a third baseman on the Brooklyn Cyclones who performed particularly well this week, Mister Brett Beatty. Went 11 for 21 with two doubles, four home runs, 10 RBI, five walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, whenever it was, when Lucas raised the point about Beatty not really hitting for power. And we said it was going to come, and man, did it come. (laughs) Literally the moment he left, (laughs) Steve, pronounce it for me. My (laughs) mommadies. (laughs) <laughs> Mamadi's Park, the second they got out of there. Yeah, I mean, he came into this series with no home runs, and now he has four. And the the 
team leaders of Mauricio and Joe Janord at six. So he went from being a non-factor to closing in very quickly. I don't know what the park factors are for First Energy Park, which is the Blue Claw Stadium, but for everybody, the balls were flying out of there. I think it really might have – it probably would have had, had more to do with the quality of pitching on both sides than anything else, but – a lot of home runs this season, uh, this series. And not just home runs, like bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how many did we see today and, and several of them? <laughs> Unfortunately, mostly from the Jersey Shore hitters. <laughs> but several of them were, like, deep, deep out. Too many. Way too many. Way too long a game. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, throughout the course of the series, Baby, Alvarez, Mauricio, they hit, you know... The homers to dead center, 400 plus into the shrubs in in center, and yeah, according to, to the, like, raised walkway, yeah, and according to Jarrett, uh, you know, who has a lot more experience seeing games at that park because that's you know right in down his, the street from his house, yeah, yeah. It's right down the street from him. Um, Joey Gallo is the only guy that he's seen hit balls there with any kind of regularity, so. When you're getting Joey Gallo power comps, that's, well, not really a comp, but when you're doing things that only a guy like that has done, that's pretty good. Um, I might be misremembering, but I remember Beatty being a lot more open in his stance when I saw him in Kingsport, and it looks like he, he closed up a little bit, and I think that should help him with the biggest worry that I've, I, I, I've had for him, which is just hitting inside pitches and pulling them. He still goes back up the middle and to the opposite field a lot more than he pulls the ball, but he is going in the other directions with power, so it's not like he's just kind of hitting weak little squibblers or anything like that in those other directions. You know what I think it is, Steve? Um, I think he his power really comes from extending his arms. Yeah, yep, yep. I think, um, and, and that's why he goes so effortlessly the other way and just smashes balls that way. It's because that's where he can get his arms extended and where he can really get the bat head out. And usually left-handers, like their power zone, their wheelhouse, whatever, is like down and in. And it's just odd to see a power-hitting left-hander where that's not really... Where it's literally anywhere yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> um... Part of that might also have to do with his eye. You know, if he sees a pitch that's in and, you know, he just doesn't like it, he's going to let it go. And his eye is really good. <laughs> uh, I think that's an understatement. Maybe it, it's just amazing. Really no flaws in his offensive game. No. I mean, um, right now he has a 476 OBP through 24 games. So that'll definitely play. And it's not like he can take just kind of like obvious pitches. Like he will take it like almost like Brendan Nimmo, where they say that he's a little too passive in taking borderline pitches. I'm like, you can't take a pitch like that because you, you know, you don't want it to go against you. Beatty is a guy that will take, you know, a borderline pitch like that because he knows it's, it's a ball. And it's yeah. Not, and and not people just like obvious Nimmo for that, because it's mm-hmm. not like Brandon Nimmo has, you know, like 70 grade power and it's going to hit, you know, is waiting for the pitch he can hit 500 feet, you know? Right. Uh, I think Batty's a little more of that, you know, where, or at least people will perceive it more as, as that. Instead of it being like passivity, no, it's he's looking for the pitch he can hit to Mars. Yeah. 
I I think it was Dom Smith. I'm I'm like seventy five percent sure it was Dom Smith. If that was a ding against him, was that instead of waiting for that pitch that he could really drive, he would just settle for like kind of hitting uh, you know an opposite field single, just like a bloop or a double or whatever. So I mean, being a power hitter and having a good guy and being passive with it, it's it is good. Like you know because to do the most damage, you want to wait for that pitch that you know you can drive, that you know you can, you know, really do the most damage with. Uh, I think that he definitely slimmed down some. He's more athletic looking than when I remember seeing him, you know, two years ago in Kingsport. Even just, in, like, I, I used him for uh, the farm report a couple of days, old pictures from 2019, and yeah, yeah. he looks like a large kid. <laughs> And now, no, he's, like, an athlete. <laughs> uh, he didn't make any, like, web gems or anything like that that I could remember, but he looked the part of a third baseman. He had some range. He had a soft glove. He had a good arm. You know, uh, a lot of the... A lot of the worries about him defensively was that he was going to eventually bulk up too much to the point where third base... You know, he would have no range as a third baseman, so he would have to be moved over to first. But that was all you know, conceptual, and he's he's done the opposite. He hasn't bulked up. He's he's really cut down without sacrificing any strength or athleticism or anything like that. So nothing has changed in that regard. He should still have no issues being, you know, a, a good third baseman for the foreseeable future. And I think the most important thing to mention regarding Beatty is that he's just so doofy. Yeah, he he's a lovable doof. <laughs> he really is. Like, like <laughs> just the way the way like every time you you see a still of his face, like he's just never. He's it's not like he's smiling. He's making some like weird <laughs> he does grimace. <laughs> but you know what? He's our prospect making weird faces, so no yeah. one else can make fun of him for that. Exactly. Yeah, I, right. I was really, I've really been impressed with him this week. He's, he's yeah. been really good. I mean, I think that I have... Not I think. I know that I have been the low person on Brett Beatty since he was drafted. Not just on Amazing Avenue, but it just like in all of Mets prospect, dumb completely. And, you know, it was, it was always... He's old for his... He's old for his age. <laughs> He's old for the level, you know, he's already 19 and a half and he's facing, you know, 17-year-old kids, like, that's why he's going to look good. He didn't hit that great, so can we really expect him to hit better? He's going to get bulkier and he's going to lose his defensive value. Like, all that stuff, honestly, it's gone from my mind because having seen him with Mauricio... And the guy that we're going to get to in a second, Alvarez, you know, the big three on the team. He, by far, looked like the best player on on the Cyclones, on the on both teams, because, you know, the Lakewood Blue, the Jersey Shore Blue Clothes are not really uh, a big prospect team or anything like that. No, but, they, they are definitely not as good a prospect team as the Cyclones. Uh, yeah, no. So, but Betty, by far, looked like the best player on both teams, and... He's going to be something in the future. I really like that swing, Steve. It is. It's, it's so simple. 
it's fluid. It's everybody, simple. everybody comes up and, you know, they, they, their hands are moving in like five different directions and Batty's just a straight line. Yep. <laughs> and when he hits the ball, it goes far. It goes That's what you like way. to see. Straight line and <laughs> with power. Mm-hmm. The last of the big three is Francisco Alvarez, and he went seven for 22 with two doubles, two homers, seven RBI, four walks, six strikeouts, and a stolen base for good measure because we love catchers that steal bases. Um, really, I, I have no complaints with him. He's, I don't want to say that whatever he, whatever kind of performance he puts in this year with Brooklyn, is fine because he is young for the level. He is still just 19, which is like he was of, among the youngest players in yeah. low A, and now he's been b- bumped to high A, where he's probably the literal youngest player. In the yeah, league. so I, I don't want to say that we have no expectations because we do, but everything has to be taken with you know viewed through viewed through that context of he is literally the youngest in the league. Um. Honestly, with his swing, I think my biggest thing that I've noticed is that sometimes it gets too uppercutty. But I mean, that's that's is what it is, you know. It's not a big deal. Yeah, like a lot of guys, like like Batty has had swings like yeah. that, where you know he looks a little too inclined. I mean, when Boy, he, is it fast though, Steve. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is a good hitter. Like it's he, he's another guy who's just very very quick to the ball, and we have some some um, statcast data from when he was in St. Lucie, and a lot of 100 plus exit velocities were coming off of his bat, and you'd like to see it. Yep. Obviously, he's a catcher, so there's a whole now flip side to him as a player, and I think. His defense is mostly positive. I think there's a couple of things that he could improve on. Um, one thing we mentioned, what we spoke about, is like positioning because he does have a couple of catcher interference calls. Um, there's a couple of times when he threw from his knees that he probably could have gotten a little more, you know, oomph and and made a closer play if he popped up, and possibly framing pitches, which is something that's really hard to get a sense of, you know, from the stands, but. Overall, you know, I, I was impressed with his defense when I saw him in Kingsport in 2019 when he's even younger, and I still am very impressed with, with the overall package. I think it's definitely above average defensive catching, in my opinion, you know, and I know nothing, so. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a crapshoot, scouting, like, catchers. I feel like the only thing that I, I come away with, and I, I didn't see Alvarez live today uh, in the field. It was the the DH, um, but he just looks mobile back there. And you figure if a guy can move and get in front of balls and you know do the the mobile parts, a lot of the other stuff can be taught. So yes, if the, phys- if, if the physicality is there, um, like framing something, guys will have random jumps at because it, it's something that can be taught pretty well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about that. No, no, no. His mobility is definitely something that impressed me. When I in Kingsport, the other two catchers were, uh, what's his name, Andres Renault, who is like 250 pounds, and big boy. 
Yeah, and is it, uh, La Tortuga? Yeah, yeah, Williams Estudio, who is short but also a squat individual, and it was like night and day between Alvarez and those two guys in terms of mobility behind the plate, blocking pitches, uh, just being very active back there. So yeah. All right. Um, not part of the big three, but another guy worth mentioning is Adrian Hernandez, who was one of the big bonus uh, IFAs from 2017. And not really sure why he's even in Brooklyn to begin with. Um, he's not hitting, which is to be expected, given the lack of experience he has. Although it is a pretty small sample size. I think he's only been playing with them for like a week and a half, two weeks, whatever it's been. But... It's just weird that he's in Brooklyn. Um, low A, St. Lucie, would be a more appropriate place for someone of his age and relative lack of, of experience. And it's not like there's anybody more valuable in that outfield than Hernandez. I mean, basically, the outfield is a bunch of guys who were senior signings or free agent guys like... Ran, uh, Cole Class, Tanner Murphy, Joe Suozzi from last year, you know. Don't really think that they need to be getting at-bats over Hernandez. Basically, yeah. the only guys on that team that should be getting outfield time over Hernandez would be Jalen Palmer and Alexander Ramirez. So, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I really think that they just sent him to wherever Mauricio was going because they were the same IFA class. Might not be the best strategy. And clearly not working, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then two other guys worth mentioning just because is Michael Tanez and Bryce Montes de Oka because they throw really hard. Otanez doesn't have any clue where the pitch is going. As, as we saw today. As we saw today, but it just goes really fast and... If there's one thing we like, it's when fastballs go really fast. So Oka, at least he has a pretty good slider, and, and he does hit the strike zone, but he's also probably going to, like, blow his shoulder out because it just looks very scary when he's throwing it. Yeah, he makes, like, a full circle with his arm uh, on his way to home. I don't know. I, I I think they should pro- he should probably uh, be moved aggressively while he's healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a guy he's missed a lot of time because of injuries, but he could he could be in the double A bullpen right now. He could dare be in the triple A bullpen. I mean, it's stuff's not like, like pretty good. Yeah, uh, to be a bullpen piece, you don't really need too much. He has two pitches that he's really good at throwing, and that's enough to be dominant in a bullpen. Yeah, there's plenty of guys with no command and two pitches who are pretty good. So, yeah, um, the fun series for the Cyclones. I wish they won a little more. I mean, <laughs> in the one game on Saturday, they went from a, a no-hitter through seven innings to being walked off in the ninth, so that was a pretty... Sucky reversal. But, yeah, I mean, it's always good to see baseball, especially after the year that was 2020, so. 
Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex2queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seipa. Lucas is at Elvahos343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be, we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>